Stampod Productions. Hello and welcome to On Your Bike. This is a bonus episode of your new favourite cycling podcasts. We are on the Felixstowe seafront on the boardwalk, looking between the gaps of the boards at the sea. So I'll stop looking down. Um, but I'm joined by 50% of another podcast that you should definitely be listening to, The Barrider's Bead On. Uh, and I'm joined by Mr. Dan Deakins. Hello. And Anna McEwen. Hi. Um, right, well, I thought I'd just get you both because um, between you, you have a lot more cycling knowledge than me and Harry. I'm putting that, putting that lightly. And I thought I'd just throw in, throw in some questions of stuff, stuff you want to know. How did I get into cycling? Well, my friend Katie Madgwick uh, nagged me into watching cycling. She used to go on and on and on about the cycling sport, and I gave up. I was like, right. And I watched Mathieu van der Poel with Strand Bianchi in 2021, and that was it. I was hooked. Um, and since then, I've watched a marvellous amount of cycling. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, sort of taken over my life. A marvellous amount of cycling. Um, did you get bullied into this by Katie as well, Dan? No. So I, I only met Katie and Anna recently, actually. But uh, my story is quite long, but I'll keep it brief. Uh, I got it into it the wrong way around in terms of my dad had me cycling from about four years old. And I didn't actually know it was a professional sport until about 2005 when I started watching ITV's highlights program of the Tour de France. We're on the small island of Noirmoutier off the Vendée coast to kick off the 2005 Tour de France. About as close to America as you can get here without actually being in the Atlantic. And the American who's won the last six editions of this race is going for an historic seven. So I came in at the back end of a certain American's career. Um, we managed to not mention him in this entire <laughs> podcast. Yeah, he's, he's like Voldemort. <laughs> yes, well, we can all forget about that. It was a long time ago. <laughs> the police motorbikes clearing the way for Armstrong there is Armstrong that's not very much more than 10 seconds separating the two men it's decision time already and we've only done 10 kilometers in the Tour de France but if they're losing this sort of time what's uh, there is Jan Ulrich right in the distance Armstrong has galloped across a gap of almost one minute and he could be putting Jan Ulrich out of the tour on day number one this is unthinkable yeah so um I Mainly, I come from the road, so I, I, I came into it not watching it. And it's only really been since about 15, 2015, 2016 that I've been watching it avidly, ardently, all the races. Well, there you go. Uh, by the way, the, 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 you super fans will know that I haven't seen Harry Potter. And yes, I did just use a Harry Potter reference, but it's one of those that's coming to the common vernacular. <laughs> I don't really know who he is. I just know I don't talk about him. He's the bad guy. He's, he's, the bad guy. He must not be named. Yeah. There you go. Right. Um, so. As far as the Tour of Britain goes, I'm kind of putting it in my head, football-wise, as it's like the Europa League of tours. It's not on the World Tour, it's not the Champions League. Go even it's a lower. step down, even lower. Europa Conference. It's even lower. The Conference League. I would say it's the Carabao Cup. <laughs> not to be down. The Tour of Britain's great. You can still get some great matches in the Carabao Cup. But it's, in terms of the levels, it's a few levels down from the top. There in terms of the field that's coming to compete for the stages. I don't even think Carabao have their own podcast on the Carabao Cup. And they've had the draw done in like Thailand. You know, they, they really love it. So you've gone to football, so I'm just going to say I know nothing about football. <laughs> you've gone Champions League and I've gone, oh, is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> but, but what we do know is, maybe go Saudi Pro League, but this, is, this, is, the, no, but this is the biggest tour 
in this country. And this is a country with a rich cycling history. Well, you've got to remember that the scene here is dwindling. So you have a, a very, you used to have a very thriving domestic scene and all the teams that are here, so uh, the British team, St Piran, help me out, <laughs> St Piran, um, Ineos, Trinity, um, basically the, the continental British teams, they'll be doing G Grand Prix around the country and they'll be, you know, they're the they're British one day races as it were. So this is, in terms of British cycling, this is the pinnacle of the racing that comes here. It's just that in the rest of the year, there are much bigger races going on throughout the year. So getting someone like Wout van Aert here is a massive coup because he's basically come from Real Madrid to come and play a Carabao League 2 Cup start. A day, what a ride. And van Aert is about to bring the Wout factor to the Tour de France. Three second places. Now a win wearing the yellow jersey. Deja vu. That the um, the race has always done really well in interacting those big names. We've had Alaphilippe, you've got Matt Mark Cavendish has been here. You get all the big names. Well, it, it's the, Paul, he's done it. It's the positioning in the calendar because the World Championships usually takes place at the end of September. So in 2021, we had the World Championships in Imola, in Italy, which was a really really punchy circuit, which suited Alaphilippe, Wout van Aert, Matt van der Poel. Did they use the Formula One track? Yes. Oh, you need to go and watch that. <laughs> so. You had them all coming here because you had climbs like the Great Orm, um, really, really good stages that set them up for that. Last year was a bit different because it was the, um, Wollongong in Australia hosted the Worlds. And yes. so the Tour of Britain was too close. So it was a very, I'm not going to say diminished, it was a lesser start list than the year before. And now this year is even weirder because we had the Worlds in Glasgow a month ago. And so those guys peaked for that race and have now sort of... Not like the season isn't over, but they've come to the Tour of Britain going, well, I've got nothing really else to do the rest of the year. I'll come to the Tour of Britain. Yeah, we, we know Matteo van der Poel very much kind of peaks for the Worlds as opposed to any of anything else, any of the massive races we could name. Um, and we've got La Vuelta a España at the same time as well, Anna. Yes, so, yeah, and, and Ineos have sent their, their top, you know, half their crew are off in Spain. Why don't they have a sprinter here? Technically, they do. However, he, Tom Pidcock would disagree with you. Well, so no, who, okay. who are you going to say? Not here. This is the. This was the slight. So this goes back to the whole Twitter thing of teams bringing teams that are rosters that are going to compete in the race because you've got like three or four big name sprinters here, and Ineos haven't brought one. So Ineos have got Elio Viviani, who is an Olympic track gold medalist. I'm pretty sure in the Madison. I'm going to guess or scratch race potentially as well. Um, Explain to us what the Madison and the scratch races are. Well, I mean. if you can. It's track racing now. Yeah, track Madison. racing. The Madison is where you have <laughs> the Madison is where you have a teammate, and you basically take it in turns to do a few laps. I'm not going to know exactly the number, but it's a few so laps. You're a pair. You're a pair whizzing yeah, round. It's basically building up points and sprints all the way around. So you're like you like fl you relay off. Imagine a massive junction in like the Far East or something, where everyone's just crossing over each other constantly. That's what the Madison looks like. Right. Yes. Uh, anyway, so after Viviani, they've also got Ethan Hayter, who is kind of... The, he. I, I would say he's comparable to Ethan Vernon in the, his rider profile, in that he's a sprinter and a time trialist at, that can climb. So they've sort of... To, to keep it really base level, they're like the British Wout Van Aerts. <laughs> he's boiled it down for us there. Uh, so, so um, you know, I'm looking... I've got the start list here in front of me. Um... And I don't see Ethan Hater on this list. No. So, what's the crack there? So, he has had a couple, I say a couple, 
a couple of big injuries this year, so he probably wasn't in shape to do five, six, seven, eight days in a row. Um, but he has been on the continent doing classics races. The same collarbone twice, or was it a different collarbone? He's broken his collarbone twice. He broke his collarbone at the Cadell, Cadell Evans Ocean Road Race in January in a sprint, and he came back to the Dauphiné, which is the Tour de France build-up race, and then he crashed hard there as well and broke his collarbone again. So, so it's partly a bit of, bit of bad luck we're yeah. seeing here. Yeah, it's not been a been a very lucky uh, season for Ethan Hayter. Okay, so so Ineos having having troubles considering this is their home race. I think, for the outsider, we're just the complete novice, and I and I put myself one small step above that. I come into these races going, Tom Pidcock's going to win, and by the way, he came second last year. Like, is that a completely the wrong way to look at this? Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> Basically, and I think it would have been. I think Tom Pidcock could have won it last year had more stages happened. But of course, because of the uh, the uh, passing of the monarch, shall I say, the death of the queen, obviously it got, uh, the races got cancelled. So I think he was on track last year to have probably won it last year. But this year, these stages are not necessarily designed with Pidcock in mind. It's a bit. Not quite his uh, his parkours. Dan, do do people organise stages to help their own home nation do well? Does that happen? Like, could the Tour of Britain have designed a stage that would help the, a British team do particularly well? So there is a phrase for this. It's called home cooking. Really? So when the World Championships went to Wollongong, there was... I mean, it's cynical to say it. It's not particularly pleasant phrase to use. But basically what you're saying is the home organisers have tailored the parkour to suit their home rider. So Michael Matthews, who is one of Australia's biggest riders, you looked at the World Championships in Australia and you thought that looks like a home-cooked parkour for Michael Matthews. Now he came, I'm going to say third, definitely came second or third behind Remco. And yeah, he came third behind Remco Venepol and Christophe Laporte. Um, so it nearly worked in that case. But here it's a bit... I feel like it's a bit different because you're so reliant on the race organisers being able to actually design a parkour that is going to... So you've got to get the places in the first place that you can design the route around. So last year with the Great Orm, not last year, sorry, uh, 2021 with the Great Orm, that's one of those perfect stages to go, you just put Tom Pickock's name down for it immediately. And that's what the race organisers would have thought if he was there. Um, okay, so I've learned a phrase there, home cooking. Whilst you're on that, line of thought you could probably tell us some more bits of terminology we don't know i've got my gcn book with me so you're my new gcn guide to pro cycling so we we've learned now about the the hats the caskets the the bead on is the bottle um the mousset is the bag yeah. there's, there's food and fuel and gels and all that yeah. any other common terms that we don't yet know uh is quite a fun common one chaspatat which translates effectively to chasing potato Okay, and what does this mean? So it's basically when you've got a breakaway up the road, and this typically happens in the, in the Grand Tours, for example, and the teams have been told to get a rider up there. And so you'll get a group go up the road in the breakaway, and then from the peloton, you'll have guys attack across to it, but they can't get across to it. So you've got a group at the front, a group in the middle, and then the peloton. So the guys in the middle are the chasing potatoes, the chasse patates. But if they join the breakaway, they've been successful. 
but then it, it, does the does the phrase then change? They the chase they, the potato, they, they, the they, eating they, fries. They are then just jo- they are then the breakaway freaks, I guess, aren't they? They've joined the breakaway. But it's it's one of those embarrassing sort of moments because these guys are used to riding so hard for so long. But there's only so hard you can ride for so long. <laughs> well, so long you can ride for so hard, even the other way around. Um, so if they can't and then they drop back to the peloton, there's a sort of I wouldn't say there's a you know saying they're looking down at them but it's like oh you guys didn't get to the breakaway um i think we should call it monge frites when the chasse patates get to the front yeah. they're there and they're eating chips should be definitely i agree with you we should start a petition monge frites yeah monge frites more monge frites if at we the... start saying it it will become a thing yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, yeah we do it just just yeah. if you just you put it you throw it yeah. Yeah. I like it. Believe it will be. Oh, we've gone there's full enough, French. Gone there's full enough French sayings yeah. in cycling. We've gone full podcast. We've gone full diary of a CEO here. <laughs> Pass me the heel. Right. Um, so there's some. So any of any of key terms we need to know? Well, it's the kind of sport where I'll hear a word. I'll go, oh yeah, that one. But there's so many. I've been I've been watching cycling for so long, and I just say so much sort of just out of hand. I'm not a hundred percent on. You know, there's you got for example you've got the um, not necessarily terminology but there's different riders are different in those in different categories and then the the french typically comes from french so puncher for example so tom pidcock is a puncher and what does that mean so he's an uh, effectively is an uphill sprinter he's he's not he's he's in this weird cat not weird category he's in this category that is behind the sprinters but ahead of the climbers so he can climb but not as well as the mountain guy it's like your bumpy terrain so short ups and downs if there's an uphill one kilometre climb, for example, Tom Pickock would be great for that because he can climb and he can sprint at the end. Well, climbers will prefer that long climb up, which will you know wear other people out, and they can keep going. They've got the endurance to keep going. Well, now we've started with that one. Remind me, what was that one again? What was it? Puncher. Puncher. We, we, we might as well ask about Baradur, given that's the podcast you guys do. I'm throwing one at you. I'm going to throw Anna. I'm going to throw at you uh, a ruler. I'd like to know that. Oh, Anna's throwing her hands up in the air. It's the Dan Deacon's hour. All right, <laughs> take it away. I'll take it. Yeah, no, so a Baradur is effectively a, a strong rider who mostly goes up in the up, up the road in the breakaway. Um, generally not going to win a massive amount, but they're sort of known for their their grit and their hard work. Like, in, in, to use another football term, they're effectively an engine in the midfield. They're not going to score many goals. They're not going to get loads of credit for keeping clean sheets, but they're the... They're the James awesome. Milner. Barry, yes, Thomas de Ghent is the James Milner of the Peloton. <laughs> right, we've lost Anna there. We'll do, we'll do Ruler and any, and any of us that jump out of you and then we'll talk about something else. Like domestique, do you know those? Well, I know domestique. So domestique essentially are working for the team, aren't they? They're working for the, for the leader, lead rider. And the domestique one's going to drop back and get the musettes. And, and also on that... Do they collect the bottles as well? Yes, you will have ones that go back and get the bidons and, and bring them forward. And um, you can either have them, like, they'll stuff their jerseys full, depending on how many, how many bottles they need to take up. But, yeah, so they've got to have that extra kind of effort to drop back to the cars, collect everything, and then put the effort in to get back to their team, back in the peloton, and hand everything out. So it's a really important, tough job as well. That is tough. And by the way, we're talking collecting from the car, not picking them up off the ground. Yeah, from off the car, yeah. yes. Out of a car, from yes. <laughs> So yeah, domestic we know. Um, but yeah, what, what, what was our other one? We had Baradur, a ruler. Ruler. So ruler is similar to Baradur, except that a ruler is more of someone that's going to sit on the front of the peloton, dragging them along. So Baradur is a ruler, generally speaking, who's going to attack. So they'll be from a team that needs to get in the breakaway. 
A ruler is the person who is going to sit on the front for hours and hours and hours and has got the strength. So, for example, for Ineos in this race, if they had a sprinter, Luke Rowe, Connor Swift, those big guys who have got the strength to sit on the flat doing, I don't know, 400 watts <laughs> for hours. So, so um, for Jumbo, would it, would it be Jos van Enden or, or, or Nathan van Hooydonk? Were those yeah, the guys going to do that? It would be... Yeah, we've seen Jos van Emden do a, the most of it. Nathan van Hooydonk is the guy who... So he's sort of getting a... Not, I'm not going to say he's getting a week off here, because he's definitely not. But he's the guy who's on the front in the classics races in Belgium. Uh, so we've had Jos van Emden and Stephen Kreuzweig from Jumbo Visma in this race doing that. So Stephen Kreuzweig is actually a different case of one, in that he's a climber. He's more of a, a Chris Froome-style climber. But because he's so experienced, he's doing the work on the front for the team and he's coming back from injury so he, he's needed to get that racing rhythm back well, there you go so we've learned a few ter- bits of terminology there um a team i haven't really mentioned in the whole series so far but they are a tour de france team uno Ex- as, all, as all the bottles get uh, get dropped in uno x pro mm. well uh, i don't know i don't know much about the manor what, what do we know um uno x um come come in and they are great uh, usually at coming in and blowing things apart. They'll be the ones that going, getting in your breakaway and really sort of driving the action, which they haven't done so much so far, have they? At the Tour of Britain we're talking about. Yeah. Well, they've had quite a different team. They've got so many youngsters in their team. Uh, they was, we heard at the, uh, the start earlier from Peter Hodges that Christoph, Alexander Christoph. Was he, who is their sprinter at the Tour de France? He was supposed to be here, but dislocated his shoulder at Deutschland Tour. So he would be the sort of the Luke Rowe of that team to sort of guide the youngsters. But we've seen already that, I mean, even me as a as someone who watches cycling a lot, I don't know who Stian Fridheim is, who is their sprinter here. Um, <laughs> so you know they get these Norwegians and Danes from the domestic scene. There's quite a lot of quite a big domestic scene in Norway and Denmark, and yeah, they, they, they try, that team is quite young. They've uh, only been around a few years, but they're trying to get to the top, the top, top table with the likes of Ineos and etc. I was going to say they've done a lot since the, the time they're, they've come around. I mean, obviously with their Tour de France invite. Um, I'm just going to say, yeah, they've, how, when did they been around? 2021? No, it's it? very re- It's within the lot. Very recent, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're an exciting team usually. Well, that's what we want to see. Just going back to. You know, you said about the, the scene in, in Denmark and Norway. So, if, you, if you're a British rider, so so Red Walters is part of the pod, is racing for a Canadian flagged team based in Belgium, with money coming from Hong Kong and Australia, and he lives in Hampshire. If you're a British rider, if you were a British rider now, can I make it through? What are your options for British teams to ride for, who are getting towards this pro level? And would you ultimately decide to go abroad? So, the brutal answer is, there isn't really a pathway. So, this, like, if, you get, if this gets lost, you know, I'll uh, maybe explain more. But when Ineos came along, there was sort of this, I'm not going to say a pathway, but, you know, you had Pidcock come through. So this is only a couple of years ago. You had Pidcock come through. Ben Turner came through. Uh, Connor Swift has joined this, uh, this year from a French team. But there is so many continental, which is the sort of the, the European level. So the, the Trinity Racing, for example, uh, St. Piran, that level, but in France and Belgium, 
there are low there are so many of those teams that it's so easy now I say so easy it's not so easy because there's a financial aspect there as well but it is a much more viable option for a young British rider to go and race for a, so for example Groupama Francis de Jure who Thibaut Pino, who retired at the t- after the tour this year, who in my mind are like the the quintessential yeah, French the quintessential team, the French team. Rider, yes, well that that team has a development team called. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I forgot what. Uh, Got a development team. Yes, um, and a lot of British riders are going over there. So Lewis Askey, uh, Noah Hobbs, who's been leading out Ethan Vernon this week, is there. Um, there's so many big teams now that are recruiting younger because it, well it started with Pogacar in 2020 where kids are being recruited so young that it used to be that the best on the domestic scene maybe went to Ineos but now there's so many options they don't need to so I mean ultimately Anna this is gonna this is gonna really hurt British cycling you know it's I suppose a bit like tennis you know like for years we had just Tim Henman on his own you know like where, where's the real what's the pathway to bring him through so we've got nothing have we um, well, I was well, not quite nothing, have we? Go on. Well, give, give us a bit of a right reply. Okay, go on. Yeah. It's not quite nothing. Um, we've got a couple of British teams, like continental teams, which are, you know, still going, which is something. But also, when I started watching cycling, there were six continental teams. In, teams, which teams were you? In, in this country. So, who else was there? Um, so, there was Swift Carbon, there was Ribblewell Tight, there was um, Wivy Sun God. Yeah. yeah, and then you had Trinity and you had St. Fran. And, yeah, and now we've got two left. So it's yeah, Red was Red was racing for Ribble, Ribble World side. Yeah, so it's financial, so unfortunately the uh, teams can't afford to keep going. Now, on, on your bike, we would love to talk some more women's cycling. Um, and I think perhaps for our last little chunk, we should do a bit of that because it seems from the outside that women's cycling, the women, well, we know the women's tour in Britain got closed down, but it feels like it's not, it doesn't feel like there's quite a big gap between all the teams like there might be for, with, with, with uh, Vignigol at the very top and, and Pogaccia and everything else is kind of un- uncatchable. So I say the women's tour, just to go back, it was really sad that that got cancelled because it was the first sort of big proper women's tour and one of the longest going. Um, and for that one to have to fold last year, and hopefully it will come back next year, but it was such a small amount of funding, really, that they needed to, to keep going. It, it yeah, just really give, us, give us a bit of context behind this. So, whoa. Right, so one, the women's tour is basically the tour of Britain for women. Yes. Red Wins Tour, it's called the Women's Tour and it's the Women's Tour for Britain. Um, and, it's an, and it's an elite level race, elite it's the level, top level race. It attracts all the top female um, racers come or came to attend. We had all the best sprinters, all the best climbers, everything, all the top teams. And, and it was fantastic to watch. I came here to watch uh, in 2021 um, to watch Elisa Balsamo sprint to victory down this very road we've just watched out down the prom down the prom exactly the same finish line and it was fantastic and it was really really good um, and then they announced last this year of what they were going to go where they were going to be um, and it was only a couple of months before it was due to take place that it got cancelled and got pulled uh, they, had, they did have a fundraise as well so and, and, and yeah unfortunately they didn't raise enough elite women's cycling shouldn't have to be crowdfunded very good point um Women's tour, from what we know, is going to come back, but we've kind of lost that 
moment in time. We've seen women's sport in other areas, you know, grow massively. You know, when I was thinking about this podcast, uh, you know, Zwift, we, we saw Tour de France, bam, didn't we? Uh, second edition. Avec Zwift, I know they were. Avec Zwift, you must mention Zwift. Oh, I don't even know what Zwift were. I now, I now know. They're like this, they're basically G. Yeah, in my, Swift in my mind to explain if you if you don't know, basically, uh, you sit on a bike and and it's like GTA. It's like virtual cycle racing. He's pedaling around like randomly. GTA when you're not doing missions and then you randomly do missions, but nobody dies. That's basically Swift. Um, yeah, they, they've thrown all this money behind it. Thrown all this money. We've got Tour de France fam. We saw uh, Demi Vollering, Lotte Capecchi going for it. Vollering ending up winning. And then we saw Lotte Capecchi off the back of that go to the World and win the World uh, Championship on the, on the road race. So now we've lost the Tour for a year. On the working assumption it's coming back. Will these top riders, Anna, will they come back? Will they come here? I, I would confidently say yes, but we saw how good I am at predictions uh, previously. Um, yes. Did you predicted Olaf Coy to win yeah, at Felix Stowe? Yes, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I can't see why they wouldn't come back. Um, they like racing here. As far as I'm aware, there's no sort of... Um, yeah, there's not a huge amount of races out there for women to do. So, yeah, the more races for them, the merrier, as far as I think they're concerned. Now, we have British... We've talked about how, how few British men's cycling teams there are. Dare I ask about the women's scene? Um, yeah, it's a similar struggle. Um, I mean, we, ha- we had a, a team just fold a couple of weeks ago, which was an American team, that you think... The thing is, you don't sometimes see these things coming. Like, it's just come out of nowhere with a press release saying, sorry, we can't sponsor the team anymore. We're going to have to... Your, our riders are now... Now, here's, here's where it's different to men's cycling. Women's cycling is much more common for teams to just fold randomly. Um, not randomly, obviously, there's a cause... Well, as far as we're concerned, it's out of nowhere. Yes. Um, so w- women's riders often have to go around hunting for th- now some of them aren't even professional like they'll be riding some of them will be paying to ride some of them some of them will just get Pay- paying to ride so we're talking like in Formula 1 style where they're bringing in sponsors and things yeah. Or- yeah it can be bringing sponsors it can be just simply that they have a day job um, like I-, I read an article recently with one of the British uh, domestic riders who's an NHS nurse um, so literally using her own salary to pay to get in there was um, at Worlds as well, wasn't there? There was the South American rider, and she self-funded to come over to it. Was it Mexico? Was it Mexico? Sorry, and she self-funded to come over and participate in the road, women's road race. That is incredible because I, I lived in Mexico for two years, and there there is shed loads of money. There's loads and loads of money for sport or sponsorship. There's like a hundred phone companies, and you see them all over the place. I think it's just maybe not being taken seriously. So she had to self-fund to come over. Does so she have to? borrow a bike because has got stolen to borrow a bike and then and she didn't get selected at the last minute or something it was very confusing story she managed to sort a time trial bike through i believe the federation that she was riding for but they took her off the start list when she got there so she paid thousands of pounds for a flight and kit etc visa stuff as well and yeah and then the worst thing is the sucker punch was um for the flight back home um the Mexican Federation staff were in first class in, on the flight home and she had to pay for her own flight. I mean, well, that, that feels like the most extreme example of, yeah. of, the, yeah, of the disparity between men's yeah. and women's sport. Um, let, let's, we'll go on, a, we'll go on a, a bit of a future talk and, and wrap things up. But before we do, give me something positive when it comes to women's cycling, Anna. Tell me, tell me something, give, me, give us some hope here. 
Um, I think it's getting a lot more traction, a lot more viewers. I think people are getting more excited about it. Um, and I don't think that other sports sometimes suffer, that the women's sports are seen as lesser. Um, you get that in football. A lot of people who watch men's football will feel that the women's game isn't as good. It's changing now. It's changing. changing gradually. But in cycling, I don't think there's that. People don't think that it's just slightly different. They race differently but there's not that negative attitude of, oh, it's only women's cycling. It is just cycling. But going back to my, my original point when we started started on talking about women's cycling, if, if, it, if it's a more level a playing field, it makes for more entertaining racing. Yes, which is what women's cycling has struggled with. I say struggled with. It's just been the, na the environment. It's nothing to, no one's fault. But you've had riders at the very top winning pretty much everything. Um, whereas now... There is, a, I mean, you still have broadly the same 10 riders winning. However, the field around it is getting closer. And you know, some teams do hoard a lot of the talent, especially in Europe, um, in the European teams. Um, but it, I think it's, 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 it's a shame, actually, that Van Vluten retiring at the, moment, um, at the end of this year because uh, she was kind of the pioneer for dragging the sport through the 2010s and uh, she's retiring and leaving it in a really good place. So Van Vleuten is trying to capitalise on the attack of Damy Vollering and put only these two riders in with a shout of winning the Tour de France Femme Avic Zwift. We've, we've talked a lot about, you know, cycling in Britain and where we're up to and not sounding particularly positive, but I spoke to Helen earlier in, in the, as you, as you will, as you will here, in our Felix though episode had a cup of tea with her in in her um, beach hut and uh, she could only remember Sir Bradley Wiggle <laughs> and that that's that was from the the peak the modern day peak of, of cycling in Britain so looking towards the future with your crystal ball where do you see us going because we're not in the Team Sky days where there's all this money coming in from them. But as we were talking before you start recording, they, they kind of throttled the sport as far as the racing is concerned. So from a British perspective, what needs to happen and what can we look forward to? I think, now I'm not just saying this because I work for the company that does domestic broadcasting, but I really do feel it comes down to the broadcasting because I get so many messages from people saying, um, why isn't this race on TV? Why, why don't they have the, the, the two other grand tours in the year? And I mean, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the same in terms of people I talk to, and they can't, you know, they, they know Team Sky and what they did back in the day, but they and they know Tom Pidcock because of the Olympics. They know the Olympics riders, um, but in terms of everyone else, you try and encourage people and say, look, it, GCN is such a valuable source of watching every race. It's the global cycling network. Global cycling network, yeah. Um, but I do feel that there needs to be more on domestic television because people don't necessarily want to spend money per month well, well, we've seen cricket we've yeah. seen you know one of the, the greatest test match series of all time 2005 yeah. England Australia was the last one on yeah. free to air TV on channel 4 and then that's for the next, cricket, the next cricket I watch yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then the, the, the entire generation have never seen cricket and that's yeah. that's the nation's sport so you think spot if cycling is, is isn't accessible and no. what are we gonna do yeah. Yeah, I think um, things like, I would say, the Netflix uh, documentary 
I think that's got a few more people involved this year. I mean, there was some artistic license, obviously, applied to the storyline. <laughs> Don't peel back the bit of an ear. <laughs> but they, uh, they, they want to sell it to, they want to make it entertaining and sell the story and the drama to people. And, you know, if it gets people watching, I'm all, I'm all for it, you know, kind of thing. I think we need to get bums on seats watching the, not bums on seats, people at the side of the road watching well, the road. Well, it's funny you say that because, of course, the fact you can't get bums on seats yes. is one of the fundamental reasons why, 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 why there's no money in cycling. Like exactly, we've hit the nail on the head there. Can't force people to pay them to watch. So yes, because it's free and I think that's why it's so accessible. There's no sports like it for actually having accessibility to the sport, the riders and everything. You don't get that anywhere. There's no other free sports. And it's unfortunate. We just need to capture the imagination and get people as mad about it as we are. Now, um, I said that was going to be the end, but I do want to throw one one big question at you. So you're looking at the time you need to go. Um, this tour of Britain, we're in a bit of a transitional phase because there was no tour last year. It got cancelled or whatever, and they've got agreements they've got to sort out. Blah blah blah. Is this tour? just a rolling advert for these various councils and the tourist board. You know, Tour of the Yorkshire famously was run by essentially the Yorkshire Tourist Board. And is that the fundamental issue with why the hardcore cycling fans like you guys can turn around and say, well, it's just pretty dull because it's just cycling flat out on a flat with nothing going on? The two aren't mutually exclusive because, yes, it is an advert for all the towns, but then that's how the Tour de France started. The Tour de France started because it was a bloke selling his newspaper mm. so you got to make money from somewhere um, but um, and so I still believe the parkour could have been designed better whether what, what that's got to do with you know who's paid what to have what go through where that's you know but I just struggle with it being labeled as boring because it's still you know you've got these two worlds existing at the same time which is funding of the sport which is the councils which are paying for the race to even happen in the first place because they're uh, they're paying for the, town, the race to come through their village or city, town, whatever. Um, but then you've got the inter entertainment aspect on the other side, and you've got extremes of that. Like you've got countries, literally countries in the Middle East, paying for a bike race to go there. They're the dullest races of the whole year, but they probably pay the most for bike race to go there. I just think it's uh, when you Visma bring the team that they do to a race like this, it was like, well, no one else is ever really going to get a look in. But I think it's a very rare example for the Tour of Britain that it's been so formulaic. Okay. All right. Well, you know. Max Verstappen was won 10 races in a row so you know it's not it's, it's, not, not, exclusive. For, it's not always the race for first yeah. Manchester, <laughs> Manchester City just won every trophy they could bar, 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 bar the Carabao Cup funny enough um, Anna so I, say, I was going to say on it is I think the differences with the Tour of Britain although it might not have been so far the greatest TV spectacle for people that are actually there on roadside seeing the race seeing it for them as they get the opportunity to see it for them it's still thrilling exciting I mean here today even though it might have been quite a, not a predict, necessarily a totally predictable sprint stage, there's still that buzz. People are still excited to be here. People are still enjoying it. And I think that's just a slight difference between the TV experience to those that have actually got to see it. And if we lost that ability to watch a bike race live in this country, it would be a travesty. Well, that is the perfect note for us to end our conversation on Anna McEwen. So thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us on your bike and Dan Deakins as well. Anna. Thank you. No, thank you very much for having me. Dan. It's been a grand day out, thank you. Lovely. Um, so this was a bonus episode of On Your Bike. 
pretty much to make up for me not being able to edit the previous episode on time. So I hope you enjoy this. I am now going to uh, go back to editing previous episodes. And uh, yes, we'll have another chat in the future. But yes, uh, if you get a chance, well, I'll say if you get a chance, do go and subscribe to uh, Barrado's Beedum because um, they've taken time out to chat to us. And sorry yet again, Tom Morgan, one of the key hosts, I have yet to speak to you. But you can definitely hear, that's the reason you should go and subscribe. So you're going to hear who that guy is, because you've not spoken to him. Uh, On Your Bike returns with our next episodes as we approach the end of the Tour of Britain and head towards Caerphilly, but there's a long way to go yet. On Your Bike is a Sandpod production.